Good morning. So my name is Sergey, and if we have not met, I would love to meet you, uh, grab a cup of coffee. Even if we have met, I would love to buy you a cup of coffee. So just grab me after the service, be like, man, I would love to grab a coffee with you. I would love to do that. So with the word image, Jesus takes us back to the garden, back to the beginning, back to Adam and Eve. There we see that we humans are created in the image of God, imaging the creator and serving as his representation in the world. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to be talking about that we're made in the image of God and what it means to, means that God created us in his image. That's, that's going to be the wrestling thing that we're going to be walking through and, and unpacking. And the reason we're doing this, the reason we're talking about this is because we started a series a couple weeks ago about what we believe. And it's a series that is unique to us because we're walking through our doctrine statements and not a book in the Bible. And as we walk through the doctrine statements, I have been giving us a few or a couple uh, guidelines for us to address the doctrine. And so these guidelines is, even though we're not walking through a book in the Bible, we're going to be using the Bible. Right? The source of, of these doctrines are in, their, in the scriptures, and so we look to the Bible as the source of it. And, uh, and, and it makes a perfect sense, right? especially for what we talked about last week uh, when we talked about how God speaks to us through his word and that his words have authority over our lives. And then second, second is that we don't just study any doctrine or any theology uh, merely for knowledge's sake. We don't learn things just so we know them. Uh, we, we, we learn them. We engage our minds. And, and, and that, that those things that we engage will connect to our heart. Knowledge that doesn't lead to greater affection for our Lord and Savior would lead towards arrogance and legalism. Right? So like, uh, that, that is, that's something that happens. So if you just learn things for knowledge's sake, you, you will get boastful and arrogance will be born. And when the arrogance is born, often it leads to a life of legalism. All right? And so that's, that's what something, uh, those are the warnings. So as we walk through some heady topics, uh, I don't want those heady things to stay in your head. I want it to apply to your heart. Another thing I want to say this week is that uh, we're not going to say everything that you can possibly say about each doctrine, right? So when we walk through the triune God, we, we couldn't cover every little detail in our time here. And so as you learn about it, as it sparks your mind, I want you to go and read about it. I want you to go to, to listen to sermons, other sermons about it maybe. Uh, same thing about the Word of God. And we can't cover every aspect of why it is the Word of God on a Sunday morning. And same thing today with creation of humanity. We're not going to be able to cover every little question that you may have. Um, we'll cover a lot, but it won't cover everything. So just, just a warning, right? So let me read our doctrine, and then we'll unpack it and uh, apply it to our hearts. So creation of humanity should be on the screen. So we believe that God created human, human beings, male and female, in his own image. Men and women are made equal in the image of God and enjoy equal access to God by faith in Christ Jesus. Both men and women are called to significant engagement in family, church, and civic life. So creation of humanity. Um, in some ways, in some ways, we have, uh, as our doctrine statements, they have been kind of building on each other, 
uh, we started with God, the triune God, and last week we saw that this triune God speaks. In love, he gave us his words that we live under, right? And now today we get to talk about another gift from our loving Father, creation and all of its beauty, the warmth of the sun on our bodies or the tastiness of food, taste buds, the air that sustains our lives, good drinks to enjoy, the pets that we can love on or places that we can go on vacation. Life is filled with good gifts from our loving God. And so from the start, there are two categories that everything in the universe fits in, the creator and the creation, right? So the universe has a creator and the creation. And in fact, the very first words of the of of the Bible, the very first that God left us is in Genesis 1, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right away in this verse, we see that God is the one doing the creating. He created everything in the universe. God created. It also means that God pre-existed the universe. He pre-existed the universe. That means that, 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 means that our universe had a starting point. It had a beginning. And God is the one who created it. And if we keep reading, we'll see that God speaks and things happen. So before God said anything, there was nothing, right? Are you guys tracking with me? So before God spoke anything, so when God says something, things happen. Before God said anything, there was nothing. And so God, and God spoke things into existence out of nothing. This is what theologians call, uh, what, what, uh, they call it uh, ex nihilo, or what, it's a Latin word for out of nothing. So God created our universe out of nothing. And, and Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that, that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So God said... Let there be, and it was. And the first question that I want us to wrestle with is, why? Why did God create? Why did God create? As we studied the the triune God a few weeks ago, we saw that God didn't need anything. God didn't lack something. So God created in love. He created to display his glory. In Revelation 4.11 Uh, We read that worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So because God created the universe, his glory is, is in everything. And from the smallest of atoms to the most complex galaxies, And we said this last week, uh, that his creation is one of the ways that he reveals himself. Uh, It's because his creation is full of his glory. That's why creation reveals himself. It's because creation itself has his glory in it. Psalm uh, Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So creation, creation displays the glory of God. In Isaiah 6, 3, we read, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So everything that is made is made by God, and it's made for his glory. 
Everything that is made is made by God, and he calls everything mine. So we started with God. We started with God. Then God spoke, and he created. He created everything. And at the climax of creation, God created humans. God set up the stage, a complete universe, full, fully equipped with God's love and his provision but he was not done. God created humans. He made male and female. And Genesis 1, 26, 27 shows us this. It says, Then God said, Let us make men in our own image after our likeness. And then 27, So God created men in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So now let's, let's go to chapter 2 and see how God created male and female. And if you ever study chapter 1 and 2, and if you have uh, some questions about, like, why are they so similar? Why are they different? Uh, uh, this is clearly confusion about the difference between chapter 1 and, and 2 of Genesis. The best way to look at, at Genesis 1 is that it's grand, overarching account of God's creation of the universe and his specific purpose for the human beings or humans and then chapter two is zoomed in on the details of formation of the first man and woman and his specific purpose for each um i don't know if you tracked with that or not so basically one is a grand scheme the other one zoomed in and shows specifically about male and female what their specific purpose is right and so they they complete each other you don't pit them against each other they're a perfect complement of each other uh, this isn't a Maybe a poor analogy nowadays, but if you think of an atlas or, or a map and you see the map of Colorado and there's a zoomed-in picture of Greeley in the corner, um, maybe the reason I say it's a poor because no one uses atlases or maps. Everybody's on Google now. But, but you get the point, right? It's a picture of the state of Colorado and there's a Greeley in the corner, all right? So let's look at the zoomed-in picture in Genesis 2. And Genesis 2.7 shows us the creation of first man. And this verse says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Then, then look at the few verses down, we see the creation of the first woman. Verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help for, helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God has formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all living stock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God has taken from the man he made into a woman and Lord brought her to the man and the and the man said this is at last at last is bone of my bones flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of men and now coming back to a verse from chapter 1 verse 31 and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and there was it was an evening and the morning, the sixth day. Okay, so from all of the reading uh, and all of the looking at chapter one, uh, God made everything, and after he made everything, he declared that it was very good. In the beginning, everything was good. 
This is perfection. This is, this is perfect garden, right? And this includes uh, humans who are perfect, their bodies and their relationship with God and each other and the world. And a key element to point out here is that when God made men and women, he made them equal. That means that before God, men and women have equal access to God through faith and possess the same moral dignity and value. Paul in Galatians 3.28 talks about this. It says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you all one in Christ Jesus. And that is a reflection of our doctrine statement, that men and women are made equal in the image of God and enjoy equal access to God by faith in Christ Jesus. Both men and women are called to significant engagement in family, church, and civic life. So, so all of this inclu- is included in the creation account of a good God creating human beings or humans. Um, this good God created everything, and the climax of creation, God creates humans, and he creates them equal. So let me just walk through what we studied, right? So, so it started with God, right? We started with God. God spoke. He created, and then, and then he created everything, and then God created humans. Now let's look at God created humans in his image, right? So from the beginning, from the beginning when I was talking about the image or likeness, for you to keep that in mind, now think about it. We're going to study it, the Imago Dei. So God didn't just create us. He created us in his own image. And we read that earlier, but it's good to come back to it. Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us, talking about the triune God, make man in our image after our likeness. So we're made in the image of God. And that means that men and women are different than all the rest of creation. Because we are made in the image of the creator. And this conversation is, is of being made in the image of God is this beautiful reality, but sometimes it's hard to fully comprehend. Uh, we're made in the image of God to re- first to reflect his nature. So we're like God in certain abilities such as thinking and reasoning, planning, loving, having desires, and so many other things. We're also like God in certain attributes like mercy, compassion, wisdom, and so forth, so forth. So we're made in the image of God to reflect his nature, but we're also, uh, we're also to reflect his rule or his dominion. If we live during the biblical time, like so if, this, if we were reading Genesis when Moses wrote, wrote this, uh, then we would often hear people, especially those who were, who, had, who were kings, claiming to be in the image of God. These kings had authority over people, right? They had authority. They ruled over the people. And they determined what was good and not good. These kings also would build statues of wood or stone and create images of themselves. And these statues and images were simply a physical representation of their earthly kings. And people will call these statues the image of God. But the Israelites believed that they couldn't reduce a God who created everything into one created image. In other words, we, we, can't make, we can't make images of God because God has already made images of God. Us, we're made in the image of God. So from the start, God had authority over creation, right? This is why we talked about God being the creator earlier. He speaks and creation obeys. God defines what is good and not good. He alone is king. 
And this king at the climax of creation gives all humans the image of God. He gives us a position or a job in the world to rule over it or have dominion over it. In Genesis 1.26, we read, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over, uh, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So this is not just a few kings ruling as an image of God, but we are all the image of the real king ruling over creation. So maybe you're thinking, how are we supposed to rule? How are we supposed to have dominion over creation today? Well, what did it look like when God first set it up in Genesis? It looked a lot like gardening. It looked a lot like gardening. Dominion means taking what we have and cultivating it, creating something new out of it. We simply continue the work that God started. He created, so we create. Growing food, growing families. And whenever you grow families, you get growing neighborhoods. When you get growing neighborhoods, you get growing cities. And in those cities, you have communities that take care of each other. So ruling over the earth is is the everyday act of our work and creativity and nurture. And this sounds amazing. This sounds amazing unless you throw sin into the equation. God gave Adam and Eve the freedom to use their authority, their rule to benefit others or themselves. And they chose to benefit themselves. And we'll talk about this. We'll talk about uh, them choosing to benefit themselves next week. That's our next doctrine, the fall of humanity, or the fall, right? But because they chose to benefit themselves, that is why we humans are able to do horrible, horrendous actions in, in the world. And that's why we human, the human race sometimes can create brilliant things for humanity. But regardless of the action, we all, are, uh, we, are, we all are image bearers of God. And I'll say this, no matter where you, what you are going through today, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how, long you have, you, you, how low you might feel or, or how low you might have gotten, you carry the image of God in you. And there's significance and glory that's inside of you. If you're struggling with self-worth, God doesn't make junk. He created and he called it good. And when he created humans, he called it very good. But the image of God doesn't stop with just how you treat yourself. Understanding that we're made in the image of God also allows us to treat others with dignity and honor. Right. So it starts with yourself And then it moves to others. And James chapter 3, verse 9, talks about how we we to treat others. With it, uh, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, with our tongue, we curse people who are made in the the likeness of God. So James, if we were studying that chapter, we'll see that that's something that we shouldn't do. We should be consistent. We should be blessing and offering grace to, to humans because they're made in the image of God. And C.S. Lewis, in his sermon, uh, The Weight of Glory, says this. There's no ordinary people. You have never talked to mere mortal. 
nations, cultures, arts, civilizations. These are mortal and their life, life is to ours as a life of a nap. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be per, uh, oh man, perpetually solemn. We must pray, play, and our merriment must be of that kind. And it is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. He also says in the sermon, the load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. Okay, so, so what he's getting at is that every person that we come across, every person that we come across, no matter the age, gender, ethnicity, no matter what someone believes, we should treat them with reverence, respect, and concern for their individuality and kindness. We should never write people off. We should treat everyone with grace and gentleness. We are the image of God. And we are, and we are the image of God from the moment a sperm hits an egg at conception to the moment we breathe our last we are made in the image of God. That's why abortion is such a concerning topic. If we take the image of God seriously, and we should, then we'll say that abortion is a violation of an image of God. If we take the image of God seriously, then the women who had abortions and men who have helped them have abortion should be cared for and not treated like scums. You see that? You see how the, the, the image of God transforms both. Why? Because of James 3.9. We don't curse or demonize anybody because every human is made in the image of God. We offer grace to everyone. And don't let this become a, poli- a political conversation. Don't let this become, I, I get it right now with some of the laws coming out. It is a very much political conversation. But, but as an image bearer of God, don't let this become a political conversation. Let this be a human conversation. Let this be an image of God conversation. And the fact is, the image of God doesn't just stop with the unborn. The image of God also presses us to care for the poor for the weak, for marginalized. The image of God looks at racism and causes us to be disgusted by it. When things that God created and called good or very good are moving towards chaos, that should break our hearts. When the image of God is being distorted around us, it should break our hearts. That should grieve us. Why? should grieve us. Why? Because things such as school shootings, that should grieve us. Because, because one image of God is dead, uh, eight image bearers of God are in the hospital, and two image bearers did the shooting. That should grieve us. We don't put a political cap on and get on social media and tear people up. That is the opposite of what God image bearers need to do. We grieve. We grieve. Because that's the brokenness to the fullest. We grieve. 
So maybe you're sitting there and thinking, why in, general, uh, why in general is there so much violence? Why is there so much injustice? Why do we have terrorism? Why do, is, do we still have poverty? Why do we still curse one another? Why is the image of God constantly under attack? Well, we'll look in depth to some of these questions next week, right, when we discuss the fall. But simply put, it's because Adam and Eve choose to use their authority to benefit themselves instead of honoring God and serving others. And we continue to pick ourselves over others over and over and over. We continue to rule and have dominion in selfish ways. And that selfishness continues to live and thrive inside of our hearts. We, we go against the design of God. And we are to reflect the perfect image of God. But because of sin and brokenness, we reflect ourselves, our selfishness. But the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop at fall. God sends his son, Jesus, to enter this broken world. Jesus is the perfect image of God. He comes and shows us what it really looks like to be the image of God. Paul in Colossians calls Jesus the image of God. He says, Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus is the pure, clear, exact image of God. So if you want to know what the image of God truly looks like after the fall, you have to look at Jesus. He's the perfect image. And how does Jesus rule? How does Jesus come and rule? Well, he, he lives his life out by serving and seeking the best of others. He loves his friends and his enemies. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus rules by serving and not, by, not just by serving, but by laying out his life down for us who have wrongly used our authority and mistreated those made in the image of God. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. It's a lengthy passage, but listen to it. Listen carefully. For each of you, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He, this is talking about Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has a has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let that sink in for a second. That is our example of ruling, right? Like, if you are still not convinced about this, look at that, those words. That is our example of ruling. Jesus, who humbled himself by becoming a point to, to a point of death on the cross. So when we look at the true image of God, when we look at Jesus when, and what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection, our hearts start to transform once more into the true image of God. 
As we gaze at the beauty and glory of Jesus, that fixes the image of God in us and the way we treat others with the same dignity. Why? Because Jesus did it voluntarily. He he rules by serving and seeking the best for others. And I am the others that he loves and serves. Do you see that? You are the others in this thing. He rules by seeking and, and by serving and seeking the best of others. And we are all the others. Even though the fall shattered our ability to be mirrors, perfectly reflecting the image of God, his son going to the cross, that his son went to the cross so that the image could be fully restored. The cross reveals that the image is loving, sacrificing, life-giving. The cross also reveals how serious our self-rule offends a holy God. Do you see that? The cross is not just like, I'm doing this voluntarily for you. No, his son had to die because our self-rule offends a holy God. It's his son that had to die. The action of the cross shows my heart. As you hear both of those things, that, that, that action of the cross now shows my heart the glory of God, and it begins to churn the mirror of my soul back to him. The cross of Jesus is the only thing that can restore completely the image of God the way it was created in the beginning in the garden. So may we look at the beauty of the creation story. We will look at this beautiful story and see a loving Father creating. May we see that we are the climax of creation as humans. And may we understand that we're all made in the image of God. And may we look to Jesus and trust in him to restore us to perfection or to perfectly reflect his image. May we be that kind of church. Let me pray for us.